the main focus of our time is kind of have a conversation tonight with, uh, with Bishop Perry. Perry and I go way, way back, and, and we have <coughs> stories we, we could tell for a long, long time. We won't. Stories but, uh, we shouldn't. We shouldn't, and we have never told. But um, I thought um, Perry touches a lot of different corners of what's happening, um, not only in the Brother in Christ Church, but other churches around. And thought we needs to hear from him. I think uh, he connects with a lot of you at different points, um, kind of what he's sensing and seeing happening in the church, and then give us a time to kind of question and answer and push back and talk with him and, and interact together. So, Perry, thanks for clearing space and, and being part of this tonight. So, turn it over to you. Thanks, Thanks. Perry. thanks. Well, actually, uh, I want to begin by um, just uh, introducing a friend that I'm so glad to have back on the West Coast. Um, Alice Shu, uh, were you at our first gathering in my backyard? Okay. She was like over two years ago, she came to the first gathering like this, and then after that, she disappeared. And so I felt like maybe it was us, but. Uh, she felt uh, a calling to go to the East Coast to work with the church in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, she, God has brought her back to us, and uh, that's really what we're all about, is encouraging and uh, spawning what God is doing in people's lives. So I've had, uh, um, I wanted to have Alec come and just share a little bit about uh, this portion of God's journey in her life, and just uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what God's doing in your life right now. So come on up. This is Ali Shu. Thank you. It's a very inclusive space. I like that. Um, well, I grew up um, here in Chino, um, and it's really cool to be back. I think it's kind of crazy when God takes you to such different places and places that you'd never expect. So I have lived in Harrisburg for the past two and a half years. Um, I <laughs> admittedly didn't even know Harrisburg was the capital of Pennsylvania um, when I first moved there. But um, I went there to start a church that was um, really trying to reach out to the emerging adult population. It was funded through the Presbytery of Carlisle, um, who realized that their average age churchgoer was about 70 years old. And, um, and they were like, well, it's not that those people don't want to know about God or that kind of age range that wasn't coming doesn't mean that they don't believe in God, but we're just not able to minister to them or we're not reaching out to them in the right ways. So they contacted Dan and Allison Seward, who were the pastors of the church plant that I was a part of. Um, and the church that we started to form there was very different from anything that I'd really been a part of. Um, it, everything took place in our homes, um, being a house church. We got together around a lot of meals, community dinners, and then conversations about God um, and faith would come out of that. We met for Bible studies, um, which was really cool, um, coming together every Monday night for Bible studies, and really just kind of started developing this community. Um, one of the things that we noticed was that this these people group that we were reaching out to, like my own generation, are, is a very transient group. And so when we would get a good group of people together, people that were willing to invest in the church and to really be leaders in the church, somebody would get a job in Pittsburgh or get engaged and move to Philly or go to grad school in Chicago. And so this really good group of people that we're, we're building a church around just wasn't really there for us to count on. Um, and I'd committed to two years um, in this church plant, so I was going to be there for at least two years. But we noticed that 
And I think one of the realizations that I had in church planting is that you really, to narrow your focus, um, isn't really going to provide you with a well-rounded, very stable church. And I think that was one of our um, one of our fallbacks. We just didn't have kind of a, a very stable church outside of the generation that we were trying to reach. Um, but it was really cool. And I think one thing that it taught me was just that living in community with other people and sharing meals together, it was kind of like the church at its bare bones. The most basic form of church that I'd ever experienced was just relationships with other people. That was awesome. Um, the church wasn't sustainable enough, though, to exist past the grant that we'd gotten. So that was in August. Um, and so since then, I was just living in Harrisburg. I was kind of waiting on God and waiting for him to tell me where to go and praying a lot about it, but still hearing him just say, wait. And um, that was really hard for me to just wait and to wait in this place that I loved, but that was so far from my family. And it took me a while to love Harrisburg. <laughs> like, for, Pennsylvanians are great and they're so loyal and the deepest friendships I have are with people that I've met there. But it takes them a while to get to know you and to really kind of build trust with you and because it takes them so long to build trust, the friendships that you have with them are like so solid. But it just took a while. And so, um, but I really grew to love Harrisburg. Like two and a half years in, I was like, wow, I could be here forever. It's, it's that great. Um, but I, so along the way, this was, I think, this was in October, um, I was mugged walking home from church. It's a little background about Harrisburg. It's a really desolate kind of city right now financially. Um, they're a bankrupt city. We don't really have money to clear the streets after snowfalls, so um, harsh weather really throws us in a tizzy. So it's an interesting place, and because of that, there's a lot of crimes like muggings. Um, I live in Midtown Harrisburg, and they were known as the Midtown Muggings because there were so many. Um, so this really cool community that formed in Harrisburg, a lot of it because it, the rent was so cheap. So you'd have a lot of artists move in, really cool, creative community. But that existed along with... Um, a lot of violence and mugging. So I was mugged at gunpoint walking home from church at 11.45 in the morning. And um, I was walking with a friend of mine. It was crazy because it was in the daytime the men were caught and I actually went to one of their hearings um, and testified at that. But it was along this way that I think the waiting was really put to the test because <laughs> my dad was like, okay, do you think it's good time to come home? Like, are you gonna come to California? And I was like, no, I feel like God is just telling me to wait. Like, I can't come back yet. I, it's not time yet. And he was like, don't you think the mugging was God telling you to come home? And I was like, no, I really think like I'm supposed to wait this out. Um, and again, like continuing to pray, because it's that feeling that, that you're, there's something that you're supposed to do, but you just don't know what it is yet. Like there's something really close, and you can almost touch it, but you just don't know what it is. And so God's just like, just wait. Um, and then I got this phone call from um, a friend of mine who's the director at Center for Student Missions in Los Angeles. And I'd worked for CSM um, four years ago as one of their summer seasonal stash, staff. And CSM pairs churches and youth groups that want to serve in urban environments um, with different nonprofits that are ex already exist in those cities that need volunteers. So they set up the schedules, they provide a host to go out with the groups to serve at all these nonprofits that in LA. Um, range from the LA Food Bank, Midnight Mission, LA Mission, um, and then different Salvation Army um, after-school programs, so Salvation Army South LA and Salvation Army Compton. Um, so we connect the groups together and um, then go out with them and help navigate the city and everything. So as a host, 
four years ago, I loved it. And it kind of changed my world in a lot of ways and opened my eyes to urban ministry um, and really started to grow that in my heart. And I was also a part of the Bay Area Urban Project with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship um, and went to Oakland and served there for a summer. And those experiences, God was just doing something in me. He was stirring this desire to live in the city and to just minister to people through relationships, like going back to that basic idea of church and that it's just like having dinner with people. Um, And so I got a call from my friend who was the director, and she was like, I really want you to apply for this job. I really think you should apply for the associate director job. And I didn't get that call. And so she sent me a text message. (laughs) I just was not by my phone. And so she sent me an email, and I finally got that email, and I was like, whoa, okay, I'll do it. Really out of faithfulness to her. Like, I loved Harrisburg. Like I said, I was ready to stay there. Um, But after applying for this job, about a week later, I found out that I got the job. Um, And it was really like God had given me the green light. He was like, okay, now go. And it was crazy. It's like, you can't always plan for these things. And I didn't. So there's still like a lot of my stuff that's in Harrisburg. Like, Um, just coming out here right away, it was just kind of crazy, but everything fell into place. And it's the first time that I've really not had to plead my case. When I followed God in the past, like going to Harrisburg, for example, everyone was like, why are you doing that? And I always had to tell them, like, there's something really good going on here. God's telling me to go. I'm going to go. But this time I didn't have to plead my case. It was like being welcomed back with such open arms and such encouragement and Perry, who was one of my references, <laughs> like everything, it just involved the whole community, like this move back. So it was really good. And God's been so good. And even this move back has answered so many prayers, not just of mine, but like of my family. I called my aunt and uncle and I was like, hey, I got this job. It comes with a salary and benefits. Like, you've never had that before. <laughs> and my aunt was like, I've been praying that you'd have health benefits by June. And it was just so cool. And it answered, I think, my deepest prayer before I even left for Harrisburg, um, was that I'd be able to come back before my grandfather passed away. He's like my favorite person on earth. I love my grandpa. And he's not doing too well, and he's continued to get worse. But I was like, God, I just don't want to get the call in Pennsylvania that he's died. Like, I just want to make it back in time. And he and I, every time I'd visit him for a holiday or something, we'd always cry when we'd say goodbye because we didn't know, like, the next time we'd see each other. And... um, And I'd forgotten about that prayer. I'd forgotten that I prayed it. And then as I was moving back, I was like, wow, God remembered my prayer two and a half years ago. Like, this kind of impossible prayer, like, he's brought me back before my grandfather's passed away. Like, it's just crazy. All the little prayers. Like, it's kind of in line with where God's been pushing me, but it also, along the way, answers all of these, like, unsaid desires that I've had. And, um, yeah, God has just been so faithful. And... What I've learned is that sometimes you just have to step out and do something even though nobody else really understands why. (laughs) And sometimes you need to step out and do something when everyone's encouraging you to do it. Um, Trusting God and kind of going where he's leading is, it's kind of a scary experience, but it's just so good. And this journey back has just been so good. The welcome back has been incredible. So that's what God's been doing in my life. That's so great, and it's also a really good introduction to what I want to share with you tonight. Um, What I want to do is I I want to just share uh, with you uh, just a little bit of my heart for the church and and, uh, 
some of the, uh, the image of the church that I see over and over again in Scripture. Then I'm going to tell you a little bit of, about just some of the things that are impressing me that's happening in the Brethren Christ right now, our family of churches. And then I'm just going to let you let me have it. and You can ask me almost anything about uh, church life and personal life and stuff like that. So um, really, what God placed on my heart tonight was uh, to share with you what, for me, are the two most important words in all of Scripture. Now, my, my Bible has, I think it's about 1,096 pages last time I checked. Um, yeah, it's about 1,096 pages. And when you think of uh, this whole book, how can you narrow it down to two words? For some reason, over the course of my life, it has been really easy to narrow it down to two words. And they're, they're two words from the mouth of Jesus that he said over and over and over again. And those are the words, follow me. Um, I don't know when I latched on that. I think it was sometime in college where I latched on to the significance of Jesus saying, not only in scripture, but saying to me, follow me. And I, I, I just love your story because it's just kind of, it's so meandering and it's so random the way uh, you've gone and, and the way you've worked really hard to listen to Christ saying to you, follow me. However, as a father, I, I would have also said that maybe at that point when you got held up, that, you know, maybe you should have listened to Dan instead of <laughs> God. Um, but... Um, so, so for me, and, and really at the, the essence and the heart of, of the Brethren Christ, our, our family of churches, is really this whole concept of what does it mean to, to literally put Jesus at the center of our lives and follow him wherever he takes us. And there's a, I mean, if, if I could just have any of you just stand up and, and tell about your lives, you would just talk about these these winding paths and these roadblocks and these rabbit trails that have gone into making your life what it is and bringing you to where you are right now. It gets really frustrating. It gets absolutely crazy sometimes. But to see a sense of purpose in it and to hear those two words along the way of Jesus saying, follow me, is a really great thing. And so I, I just want to share, it's really encapsulated for me in... Uh, a lot of different places, but uh, Luke chapter 5 in particular, uh, verse 27. It's very familiar, and it's a similar call of a lot of different places, but the little paragraph heading is the calling of Levi. Levi was also Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, became one of the followers of Jesus. But it says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
I, I love so much of the imagery of, of this, the calling of Levi or the calling of Matthew. If you wanna uh, go home, there's a great picture by Rembrandt called The Calling of St. Matthew. And you could uh, Google that up and just look at it when you get home. It's, it's a great visual. I should have had it, but I don't. Um, but uh, I just want you to see uh, just a few things here that I think make this a great story, but also really make this a great image of the church. Um, and the first is that, that Jesus calls everyone. It's not just a select few. It's not just kind of those people who want to go to seminary that Jesus calls, but Jesus takes the most random person, a tax collector sitting at a booth, employed by Rome, the, uh, the villainous oppressors of the Jewish people, and he says, yeah, you, uh, I, want, I want you to be a part of my team. And uh, one of the problems or one of the, the things that I, I get frustrated uh, frustrated with in the church and even Brethren Christ churches is this tendency to think that the church is just for people like me. It's, it's a narrow segment of society that is really kind of defined by class and culture and beliefs, and it's very selective, or it ends up being very selective. And I love the way God and Jesus always just kind of blow that out of the water and say, I'm going to take the most off-the-wall person that you can think of, I'm going to say, yeah, I can use you, and I want you to come and follow me. So Jesus calls everyone, kind of blows those boundaries out. And the other thing in the story, it says that Jesus, uh, Levi left everything. I don't even know what that means. I mean, did he just like get up and leave all the money there? Did he leave the books there? Did he just like you know, take off his tax collector's hat and just throw it on the ground, go, I'm out of here, you know, take this job. And, you know, uh, I'm not exactly sure what it means, but there is a, a very intentional way of saying that Levi had a complete change of heart. He had a complete change of orientation. And he said, I am no longer doing this. I'm with this Jesus guy. It doesn't even say much about, I don't know, how much of a relationship they had, how much of a conversation they had. Certainly there was more, I mean, he just imagined someone coming up to you in the mall and just saying, follow me. You go, okay. <laughs> I mean, there, there had to be something, okay? But, but the point is, is that there was an immediate change in focus. I think it's a call to us. It's a call to the church that the church is a call to, to change our orientation to the, from the things of the world to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the call of Jesus on our lives. Another thing I see here is that all of this resulted in a big party. Levi threw a big party of celebration for Jesus and invited all of his, <laughs> all of his rapscallion friends, you know, and I... Uh, the, the nearest I can get to this, I, I know it's hard to believe, but I'm not a big party goer, you know. So I just, I know you look at me, you say, Bishop's a party animal. I appreciate that, <laughs> but I'm really not. And, but I did get invited to a birthday party across the street uh, a number of weeks ago, and I knew it was going to be one of those kinds of parties, because I know my neighbors, and I've seen from afar, from my window, Marta, come, look, look at the people that are going over there. And we peek out and like, well, I got invited to one of those parties. I'm like going, 
<laughs> I didn't really know what it was going to be. Well, no, I knew what it was going to be like. I just didn't know how it was going to fit in. Went over. It's a great celebration. The rock man was in the living room. The, uh, the bud was on tap, and everything was going around. Then the circle formed, and they were throwing back. I think they call them shots. I'm not sure. It's when they bring... <laughs> I was off by the fireplace, you know, standing in a corner, my sparkling water, you know, and stuff. Uh, but it was a party for people that I usually don't hang out with. And I just think, how amazing that Levi threw the only kind of party he knew how to throw and invited his network of friends. And he said, Jesus, I, I want you to be a part of this. I mean, now, I don't know if that's a good image of the church or not, but anytime you have Jesus at the center of some kind of gathering, you have to take it seriously and say, what is God saying to us as the people of God? What are the kind of people that God reaches out to? What are the, how inclusive is God of people who need him? I had a good time at the party. It went a lot later than I stood, uh, than I stayed, but uh, it just—I had to kind of get us this picture of Jesus kind of mingling with the people that were there and uh, engaging people and even having a good time. I don't think Jesus threw back shots, but I don't know. I'm not just don't think so. Um, the the other thing I want you to say, and I've already. I've already mentioned this, is that uh, Jesus is at the center of this. The party was for Jesus. Um, and it says, G Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a, large bank, a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. And so um, one of the things that, that we're going to do tonight is following our time. We're going to have communion together. Uh, not a quiet, solemn, like, oh, self-flagellating, you know. No, we, I mean, we, we want to celebrate. This is what I want to say. We want to celebrate Jesus at the center of who we are and what we're about, you know. And, and lots of times, part of our problem in our, our church experience is we just do this once in a while. It's kind of like Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and we forget to do it. I mean, we do it like every quarter or something like that. I, I think it's okay to do it on a more regular basis, not make it so serious, and just make it a celebration of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a good thing. Well, anyway, this is kind of a party, and this represents Jesus being at the center of it. And I really think that that's a main part of what Jesus calls us to is Jesus wants to be the center of our affections, the center of our worlds, the center of our parties, the center of our worship. And he wants to be that towards which we are all drawn increasingly every single day of our lives. This really is a core thinking, a core part of what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, is Jesus at the center of our lives. Well, and then the last thing I want to mention uh, from this story is that, uh, and it's obvious, Jesus welcomed sinners uh, and people he said that were sick to experience new life in him. 
to be with him, to gather around him. Now, I want to say something about this, is that lots of time these days, a passage like this is used to say that Jesus is an all-inclusive God, that Jesus just kind of like welcomes everybody exactly the way they are, and he just wants everybody to be a part of what Jesus is doing. And to that I would say, I absolutely agree. But here's the caveat, is that Jesus also welcomes and accepts everybody, but he never leaves people the same. He doesn't leave them the same. As a matter of fact, when he's criticized, actually, if you read it carefully, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they went and complained to the disciples, and then it's Jesus responding, which I think Jesus probably overheard. These guys are like, well, we're not going to go to Jesus. He's scary. We're going to talk to his disciples and see if we can like convince them, and they'll talk to Jesus. So they get the disciples. They're talking to him, and Jesus says, you know what? Talk to me. Here's the real deal. And Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here's what God has revealed to me recently, is that God in Jesus is not just the all-inclusive God that invites everybody in and says, you're just good the way you are. Jesus goes out of his way to say, these people, they're sick, they're unhealthy, they need a doctor, but I've come to call these people, these sinners, to repentance so that they might have new life in me. In other words, Jesus invites everybody to the party, and Jesus leaves no one the same. And so, so one of the things that we as Brethren in Christ stand for in this day and age is, and, it, and it's so hard because it's hard for people to understand that we can accept and invite everybody, but as we invite everybody to come and to experience Jesus Christ, we also need to let them know that if you choose Jesus, he's not going to just leave you the same. Your affections, your desires, your focus in life, where you're going, it's not going to stay the same. He wants you. He created you. He invites you. He loves you. You're all created in the image of God. But doesn't want to leave us the same. And you know, when I was in high school, I'd accepted Christ as a kid, and I was uh, in the church, and I felt I was okay, but God hadn't changed me. I had done the right things, I believed the right things, I'd said the right things, I'd been baptized, I did all of the right things. And yet I hadn't allowed God to change me. And I think that's one of the things that God calls us to as brothers and sisters in Christ. That combination of being inviting and accepting, but also letting people know that if you choose Jesus, he will never leave you the same. Jesus has an agenda on our lives. The agenda on, that Jesus has on our lives is that he wants each and every one of us to become more and more and more like him every single day, to be conformed to Christ's likeness, to be drawn towards him,
from all these different directions, all these different perspectives, conservatives, liberals, you know, all of these different people coming from different directions, and we're all getting closer and closer to Jesus together until we get close enough to Jesus that we, rep, rep, uh, we recognize that we're brothers and sisters together from different perspectives. So anyway, I, I have this vision. I think the brethren in Christ have this vision of the church that Jesus lays this claim upon our lives to follow him. It's for everybody. It's a call to leave everything. It's a, a, a wonderful, messy, crazy, Jesus-centered party where sinners are welcomed, sinners like you and me, but are never left the, never left the same. And, and just a few other places where Jesus said, follow me, and I'm not going to flesh these out, but I just want to mention them. You know, when, when he called Peter and Andrew, the scripture tells us that Peter and Andrew left their nets. I don't know if they just threw them down on the ground. Hey, kids, come, you can have these nets. We're out of here. You know, left their nets and they followed Jesus. So it has implications on our, choice, our, our vocational aspirations. And another guy, or in a similar situation, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so there's a shifting of priorities from earthly focus to eternal focus. There's another guy, rich young leader in Luke 18, and Jesus said, follow me. And he said, but first you need to sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. In other words, uh, if there's something that stands in the way of us following Jesus, that may need to get out of the way first. And it says he left sad, the young man did, and didn't follow Jesus. And another place, Jesus said, you need to deny, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. In that same context, it said, some followed, but some turned away. And so... Um, one of the things that the Brethren of Christ have always taken very seriously is that the call of Jesus on our lives to follow him is in no way easy. It's in no way just an intellectual ascent. It's in no way just getting our theology or our doctrine right. It's a way in which God in Jesus Christ confronts our very being and demands our very lives. If you go all the way back to the Anabaptists of the the 16th century and the 17th century, these were people that literally followed Jesus so closely that by, by the dozens and the hundreds and the thousands, they were, went to death. They gave their lives because they would rather follow Jesus in everything rather than compromise. So... That's a little bit of the heavy, of the, the serious aspect of the way in which we as brethren in Christ take the church. Yeah, we believe in, in celebrations like this and leadership training and, and uh, evangelism and all of that, but at the heart of it, all of that is that comes, uh, comes forth from our desire to follow Jesus. So I don't know what your two uh, most serious words in the Bible are, but for me, it's really at the heart. It's to follow Jesus.
One of our Brother in Christ core values is uh, that of following Jesus. And it says, we value wholehearted obedience to Jesus Christ through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, as we get closer and closer to Jesus, we don't just do it as a matter of the will, but we have the helper, we have the Holy Spirit who, who walks alongside of us, who is inside of us, and who draws us towards Christ-likeness so that we might bear, uh, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, we might be able to minister in, in strength, and our lives might evidence those wonderful fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. There's one other in there that I, what is it? Gentleness. See, that's why I forget that because my wife says that's what I need to work on. So, <laughs> selective uh, hearing, gentleness. Those are the fruit of what it means to become like Jesus. And so that's just a little bit of an overview of my heart of, of this, this Thing, this family of believers called the brother in Christ and you may say it's good I came here tonight because I am out of here that's nowhere near where I am but if God is has impacted your heart with this sense of how important it is to follow Jesus in everything maybe you're in the right family and so I just want to take a few minutes before you ask me questions to just share just some of the ways in which um, we as a, a family of churches across uh, the U.S. Are, are trying to do this. And again, these are, you know, these are just some of the things that are new and uh, impacted me recently. Um, first of all, in the whole area of leadership, uh, the church got together as, and uh, last year it was time to appoint a new national leader. And uh, it was just really remarkable to see how prayerfully and how thoroughly this was done. At the end of this process, a leader was identified by the name of Alan Robinson. And so Alan, he's from Ireland. Uh, he was a pastor back east in, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. But I just want you to know that I am so encouraged to work alongside this guy. First of all, he's fun and he's funny. Top two leadership characteristics for me. But he's smart, he's decisive, and he's deeply spiritual. And his life evidences the fruit of the Spirit and, and being guided by God's Spirit. And so I'm just, I, I say you could be really encouraged by the appointment of Alan Robinson. I also want to say humbly that the church has asked me to stay in this role for another six years, which will put me at 18 years total in this. Now, I still have to be confirmed by the right people in the right places, so they could say... Sorry, but I don't, well, I don't think they're going to do that, but, you know, I've been surprised before. <laughs> so I plan on being a part of the leadership of the church for the next six years and, uh, uh, yeah, being Jeff's boss. So that, <laughs> that's the cross I must bear. <laughs> One of the things we did in the, in the last year is that... Um, we, as the Brethren of Christ, we really emphasize the community of believers. And so through a lot of uh, groups, a lot of uh, focus groups, we just went out to churches and to pastors, and, and we just said, as leaders, we said, tell us what we need to do better. Because we as a church, we are not top-down. You will do this, you will like it, and get in line. We are, we're a community. Uh, we, in my role as bishop, 
I am a servant of the church. And so we ask the people, and two things that we're really focusing on this year, and that is to support local congregations more intently as where ministry takes place, trying to do that better. And secondly, is to work uh, as leaders uh, with more trust and greater transparency. And uh, one of the things I've been impressed uh, about in, in leadership in the church is that I am just amazed at how, how real and how honest and how down-to-earth the leadership is. And, uh, uh, but we can always do that better, and that's why we have, uh, foc we're focusing on that uh, this next year. A couple other things. Um, last February, a year ago, we had a consultation on Scripture. And again, one of our core values is uh, uh, believing the Bible. We read and interpret Scripture together, and so when we do things on Scripture, we gather the community of believers, and so 36 people came together, and we really wanted to sit down and, and focus on what we believe on the Bible, how we will interpret it, and reestablish a sense of the Bible as central to our life as brother in Christ. So 36 people came together. We affirmed our commitment to uh, the Bible as our inspiration, our, our inspired source for faith and practice. And one of the things I really appreciated is there is a renewed commitment to holding the Old Testament and the New Testament together as one, as the inspired word, with Jesus at the center, and uh, uh, because there, there is a movement out there that's starting to say, well, the Old Testament isn't that important because we have Jesus, and so there's been a chipping away. Church came together and said, Jesus affirmed the whole book. We need to affirm the whole book too, as attesting to Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. So that was really cool to be a part of that. Finally, um, there's uh, in the church, there's a continued emphasis on church planning, starting new churches, adopting new churches, and forming new partnerships. One of the things to me that is most amazing right now is that we have a number of young leaders coming to us and saying, hey, we've heard of you, the Brethren Christ, we've been reading Greg Boyd, we've been hearing about you through Bruxy Cavey, uh, N.T. Wright has impacted our lives, some of these theological people, and we've heard about you, and uh, we'd really like to be included in what's happening to the brother in Christ. We're like on who? Us? Because we're kind of like the we're kind of like the ugly little kid in the corner. Like nobody ever asks us to dance, you know? <laughs> we're like going, really? Us? We're not allowed to dance. <laughs> but but what we're finding is that the depth and the focus on Jesus. The commitment to not only justice and compassion, but also to personal holiness and spirituality is all of a sudden becoming increasingly attractive to people. And so we have churches. I had a guy from a church in North Dakota email me yesterday and said, hey, we're really um, we're frustrated with some of the teaching in our denomination. Can we join the Brethren in Christ? I'm like going, yeah, for $10,000, just send it, Perry Angle, E-N-G-L-E, -E, just send it to me. No, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, these, these are coming out of, out of the woodwork, literally. And so I emailed Alan Robinson. I said, you know, we need to get a grip on this. I mean, because 
people are starting, and we don't really know how to include them. And, and so we're, this could be a big subject of discussion in our meeting in May. Um, all of that to say is that, not that there's anything, you know, we'll probably go back to being the kid standing in the corner eventually, but, but for right now, God is saying, is affirming that our commitment to scripture, commitment to justice and peace, our commitment to personal holiness and, and lives of, of Christ-likeness, somehow it's becoming somewhat countercultural. It's becoming a way in which people are saying, you know what, there's just something about this. And so we're trying to figure out what that means and humbly embrace what, what God is calling us to do as, as the people of God in this day. So those are just some of the things in which we are being the church or trying to be the church.